Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today we're going to take our reading from uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 2. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16. The Bible says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. And he puts a full colon there and he says in verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come but the body of Christ. He says the holy days, the sabbaths, the meats, the drinks, the new moon, the seasons, and all of that are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So what Paul is trying to tell the church here is that do not let anyone judge you over shadows. The judgments of the spirit do not carry aggregates with shadows. They don't have relationships with shadows. Because shadows, you know, they only explain the existence of particular bodies, all right? Particular elements, particular entities existing, all right? If I have to get into the simple language to explain what I mean to say is if I am standing in one angle, and light is flashed on my body, the opposite side of my reflection then will create a shadow, all right? Meaning that a shadow is a result of light flashing on a body, all right? It is simply the other part of me being represented on that floor, but as a result of a light that is flashing on my body, all right? And that reflection then casts a shadow. And God is saying that do not define my judgments under shadows. The body and the substance is the person of Christ. That means in the understanding of the judgments of the spirit, you must understand the body, the entities, the elements of these things and the shadows thereof. You must separate the entity with a shadow. You must separate the person with a shadow. Okay? You must separate an event from its shadow. All right? You must understand that. Because if you don't, you cannot understand the judgments of God. He tells us in Thessalonians that your love abounds in knowledge and judgment. It's the only way the Bible says you can approve the things most excellent that you might not have offense till the day of Christ. Okay? And I always tell people when we're talking about this kind of offense, we are not talking about, oh, this one uh, stole the other one's pen or pencil. No, we're talking about things that touch knowledge and the judgments of God. 
if you do not understand the judgments of God, it becomes so complicated for you to be efficient in the things of the Spirit. All right? The sacred things, the ancient things, the hidden things of God carry their identity when we learn to discern the judgments of the Spirit. That is the only way we can be aligned to truth. That's the only way we can understand the true north in the compass of the direction of the things of the Spirit. And we have people who, even though seem like speak realities that could connect to these truths, they themselves are not pegged to the realities of these truths because they have not understood how the judgments of the Spirit work. Without the judgments of the Spirit, you cannot approve, you cannot examine the excellence of things. And if you cannot examine the excellence of things, then you have a deluded understanding of perception. Your perceptions are delusional, all right? You will see things that you are not meant to see, or certain things will cast off impressions that are not actually what they really are. So that means it's easy to be deceived and confused. In fact, one of the literal definitions of shadow is also confusions, okay? Shadows reflect confusion, right? Because they are blur and they don't uh, define the clarity of things. If my shadow is on the ground because of a light that hits me, you cannot fully identify an individual by their shadow. The shadow only tells you the existence of the individual. But that's how far the shadow can tell you. It will not tell you more. It is susceptible to ministering confusion, all right? And sometimes the confusions we have or the lack of clarity that we have either in the preaching of the word, in the deliverance of the prophetic, or in our pastoral duties, on whichever office God has called us to define, therein are the degree of deceptions, whether we deliberately give them to the people or unintentionally give. But the end of that is that when we start casting shadows of men, we impress on them inspirations that carry no results. Why? Because they are confusing. They are deceptive. Some people say, oh, but the Bible is confusing. It's because they see the Bible in shadows. Oh, but this principle, this in the Bible is confusing. It's because somebody relayed shadows to them, all right? The shadows cannot give you the full picture of whatever you're trying to define. Because remember, the light of the Spirit is cast on the image, not the shadow. The shadow is the result of the image on which light has been cast. Okay? Now, Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, all right, in the central theme, this person of Jesus Christ, the body and the person, whatever he represents in the Spirit, does not seek to cast shadows. It does not seek to cast shadows. But certain shadows become as a result of the light, right? That is on the Christ. As an individual, the person of Christ does not have shadows, right? But they are shadows because of his existence. Nobody intends to cast shadows. You cannot deliberately say, let me cast a shadow. No. Now, the difference here is this Christ we represent or teach is life and he is light and it is the light that shines in darkness. There is no way a shadow should be defined around him because he is the light itself. He is the light itself. He is the light itself. A light cannot have a shadow in front of it if there is no image to defy that light. It doesn't work that way. Okay? So when the Bible speaks of the shadows, all right, it speaks more of things of a different covenant before the fulfillment of what this light came to do in the world. 
it is not meant to cast off shadows, but the sons of men, because of their perception, carry a certain impression of shadows. All right? And some build their ministries and life, their convictions and doctrine around the shadows. And they miss out on the reality, the person of Christ. Christ is not just the entity that stands there between you and God, but God casts light onto. No, actually Christ is the light of the world. All right? He is the light that lights every man that cometh in the world. All right? So there will be shadows by you. All right? And that's where you understand the mystery of traditions. Traditions are simply men's ideas, perceptions, connecting to the light that is being emitted from, for example, the person of Christ and to them. And then they now decide to define their own ideas and doctrines based on the shadow that is cast on them as the light of the glorious gospel comes toward them. So it's not that this light itself all right, creates the shadow, but the shadow is as a result of the fact that this light comes to hit a person. All right? It comes to touch an institution. It comes to touch a certain order of things, a certain set of cultures, a certain set of values, a certain set of belief systems. And because they are built in a manner that is contrary to the light that comes toward them, then they cast off shadows. Right? The light itself is not the maker of the shadow, but the shadows are as a result of what this light hits. All right? If this entity, the system, the person was not existent, the light will just hit through. The light will just hit through. There will be no shadow. All right? And so Jesus, the light, all right? when that light hits something, when shadows are cast. But in this particular person, the light itself, it does not have shadows. No. Shadows are as a result of the objects that stand before this light. All right? And I tell people that behind these entities on which the light is cast is the spirit of traditions. Right? He says they make the word of God without effect because of your traditions. Why? Because sometimes people look so much onto the shadows than the substance of that light. Okay? Jesus Christ, our light, he says somewhere in Luke chapter 1, verse 76. All right? He says, And thou, child, now they're defining you know, the function of the Christ, shall be called the prophet of the highest, okay? for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, all right? to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercies of our God, whereby the day springs from on high hath visited us. The Bible says, now here they're going to define this day spring, the person of Christ. It says, to give light, verse 79, to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This one does not come to cast shadows. He comes to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. All right? And in the shadow of death. He comes to give light to shadows. Jesus comes to deal away with the shadows. He comes to clear the shadows. He comes to deal with all darkness. All right? He comes to deal with all darkness. And we know that a shadow can be dealt away with depending on the positioning of that light. All right? If light is positioned a certain way, Right? Yes, shadows stand, but if light is positioned a certain way, it can deal away with all shadow. Right? It depends on how the light is cast. Right? 
It depends on how the message is preached. It depends on how the message is perceived. It depends on how much Christ is revealed. It depends on the spirit of revelation of one who comes to give light. One who comes to give light. All right. So, of course, you've read in Psalms where the Bible says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, understand this. All right. If you're talking about the shadow of death, you cannot speak about a shadow without the existence of this entity, death, right? So if death exists in one place, all right, then behind that death, the spirit, is the shadow. I hope you understand me. Behind that spirit, death, is the shadow. So when the Bible says that they walk in the valley of the shadow of death, when I'm talking about the shadow of death that is brought back in Luke, you will realize that it depends on where these men are walking from because if you are walking ahead of this death, right? This is the entity death and it's casting a shadow. These men are walking under the shadow of death. That means as the light comes, all right, death precedes their walk, all right? This is death right here. This is the individual. Death is casting a shadow. And if somebody is walking in the shadow of death, it only means that when this light came, it hit first death and then cast a shadow. And this man is walking under that shadow. Right? I want you to understand that. Now, when we teach a message that goes beyond death, that conquers death, that has the keys of death, that annihilates death, it only means that this man comes before death. Right? So in other words, he can cast a shadow on death, but death cannot cast a shadow on that man. Because the positioning of that man has changed. When Jesus Christ came, the positioning of the spirit changed. The man that was under the shadow of death now came beyond death. He transcended death into life. That's why the Bible says we've been translated from death into life. We are translated from death into life. We're not behind death anymore to cast a shadow on us, but the rather we are above death. Death cannot cast a shadow on us anymore. Right? So that means... We which are in Christ cannot die because death has no power over us in shadow or influence anymore. The only way death can exist in the life of a believer is if the light that is cast is directed firstly to death, all right, and the believer then to understand and sit in the shadow of that death. And then that defines our ministration. It's only the ministration of death where with shadows can be cast to kill men. All right? So when the Bible says the letter killeth, why? Because it's the ministration of death. The ministration of death comes before the individual. All right? So when he starts to speak about if the ministration of death had a glory, all right? there was a ministration of the law and of death. It had a glory. All right? How much more than the ministration of the spirit? All right? Because the first ministration was condemning. All right? And because he brought condemnation, it was for death, for the wages of sin is death, right? It's death. The wages of sin is death. So if you are a sinner, you are susceptible to death. So every time you're preaching the law, every time you are preaching in the ministration of the old code, it only means that you are casting the power of death. And consequently, whatever light comes through, it will shed a shadow for men for their own destruction. Right? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's the free gift. Right? When Jesus comes, he deals away with death. 
he conquered death in his own flesh. So the Bible says, he defeated death in his own flesh. He went in hell and made a public spectacle and he shook them a knot to nothing. Huh? He made a public show of them. So he defeated the power of death. Right? So Paul says, death, where is thine sting? He's asking, death, where is your sting? And because Paul does not see the sting of death, all right, he has no shadow of death because the light that comes now in this dispensation does not go through death to cast a shadow for those that are walking by in Christ. No, in Christ, there is no death. He says, the devil comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, but I am come that you might have life. This light in the Christ is a giver of life. All right? So when they're talking about this light, the Christ that would come in Luke, all right? The Bible says he comes to give light to them that are in darkness and them that are sitting in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He comes to deal away with the shadows. But in trying to deal away with the shadows, he's trying to align or realign our understanding to discern the judgments of God in righteousness. What we call the righteous judgments of God or the judgments of God in righteousness, all right? In righteousness. When we are talking about the apostle Peter, okay? Some of you have read the story where, for example, they used to bring the sick and lay them on the streets so that his shadow might touch them so they might heal. And I want to explain that, all right? In Acts 5.15, he says, In so much, the Bible says, They brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and coaches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them, all right? The body, the person of Peter might pass by and overshadow them. Now, so you say, okay, if Christ is not a dealer with shadows, why is Peter shadow healing? Because he has a physical body, the natural light casts a shadow on him, okay? But even though natural light casts a shadow on his body, in the spirit realm, the light of the glorious gospel was casting light. And that's the reason when Peter is walking and the light of the glorious gospel is cast on him in what they call his shadow as a result of the natural light. In there, actually, God changed and put life and light in the very shadow that natural light because of Peter's body. And because there is no healing in a physical shadow, in Peter's life there was consequence. This was a result of a man who had been consumed by the word of God. That even whatever seems as shadows because of natural light, not this, in the spirit our Lord translates to spiritual light. Even in those shadows, and what could have killed then starts to give life. It starts to give life. So what happened to Peter, it's not that there was a glory in a shadow that was cast by natural light. It's just that there was a word of God that consumed this man, that everything that touched him started to have effect, and whatever would have been shadow by natural light was translated into the glorious light and life of the Spirit. And that is how Peter healed the sick. That's how Peter healed the sick. Because when you get to the understanding of what the Word is, there are no shadows. 
There are no shadows. There are no hindrances to the flow of the light of the Spirit. All right? In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1, all right? Let's talk about the law, for example. He says that the law, having a shadow... Now, again, listen to this. This is not me. This is the word. Okay? He's saying, and the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the karmas perfect. How come the karmas are not perfect? Simple. Because the sacrifices are not sufficient. Why? The law casts shadows. The spirit gives life. Now, I've gone even beyond healing and the miraculous power of God. I've gone even into the teaching of the law and grace. Why we teach grace is because when you minister grace, you don't cast shadows. When you minister grace and emit the light of the glorious gospel, it goes through even the hardest thing, the most complicated thing, and casts through and leaves no shadow. That at the end of that individual, that entity and person, the other end of it, instead of shadow, you still see light go through. That is why we preach grace. That is why we preach the present truth. Because God does not cast shadows. He doesn't cast shadows. In James chapter 1 verse 17, let me read the Amplified. Every good and every perfect, okay, free, large, full. I want you to note those three things. Every free gift, every large gift, every level of largeness, every level of fullness, whatever you want to feel or want to be filled with, the Bible says is a gift from above. Okay? And it comes, the Bible says, down from the Father of all, the Bible says, that gives light. Are you following? He gives light. And he says, and in the shining of whom there can be no variation. In the shining of whom there can be no variation. All right? Rising or setting. Okay? And he says, all shadow cast by his turning as in an eclipse. In Christ, in God, there is no shadow cast in his turning. In other words, there is no direction wherewith God will come to cast light on a man. And then will leave a shadow in his turning. You know, it's in every facet that defines God, in every direction in which he will move in a man, there will never be a place where he will cast a shadow or leave a shed of confusion. Our God, the Bible says, is not an author of confusion. If you study confusion, it's the same word shadows. Our God is not the author of shadows. He never leaves shadows. When this light comes in, it carries no variation from its rising or setting. It doesn't matter from which direction God will come. He will never impress a shadow on a person, on an entity, or anything there is. He's not the author of shadows. He does not work with shadows. He does not relate with shadows. In him, there cannot be a shadow because every time the light of God comes to hit anything or anybody, it hits that person all thing 360, holistically. When it comes to heal, he wants to not just heal, but make you whole. All right? God does not just want to touch one side of your life, one facet of your destiny. He comes to fulfill every part of your life. His plan is not to, oh, let me give you money, all right, but leave you in your problems of marriage, or let me give you a wonderful marriage, 
but leave you in the challenges of raising children and having any, right? Or let me give you, you know, a marriage and children, but, you know, ignore your need of finances to educate your children. No. When he says, I am your God and I'm your father, he expects you to procreate and recreate, okay? And in your procreation, he expects you to have children. And when he says you'll have children, he also intends to provide for those children. And because of that, he intends that your children will also grow up like any other person, actually better than the children of his world. And then they'll graduate well, have wonderful careers, and get married to their own peers as well. And then when they get married, it's expected that they too will have children. Right? And that's the cycle. And their children will also have children. And all of them will be provided for like God provided for you and has provided for your children. He never leaves any shadows. If he opens a door for you to do business, he intends that this business should be a success. And because he intends this business to be a success, if that, that, that business will increase and will it will increase, you'll hire more and then raise and mentor and then set paces and inspire. And then through that, as they are faithful in your own, the Bible says he that is faithful in another man's, God shall give him his own. One day the people that you raise also will do their own businesses as well, become successful business people, and then also empower, encourage, raise, and then also inspire others to do, okay? And then that extends and extends and extends and extends until generations are touched. God does not cast shadows, all right? He doesn't cast shadows. He doesn't want anything to affect you or to have any sort of confusion in the order with which he has called you. He has not called your marriage to confuse you. He has not called you to do businesses into confusion. He has not called your ministry into confusion. He has not called you to confusion. You are not a teacher of confusion. You're not a minister of confusion. Yes, some of the stuff we preach might confuse people, but it's not because we are confused or that God is confusing. It's just because probably they're still under certain shadows and are trying to come into a light. But as they continue to hear the word, what was confusing starts to become easy because God is a God of simplicity. The Bible says men are corrupted from the simplicity which is in Christ. From the simplicity which is in Christ. So I told you why we preach grace. Because the law casts shadows. Cast shadows. I told you why we heal the sick. Because when the light of the glorious gospel comes into us, we cannot cast off shadows. What will appear shadows of natural light, God will translate and give life and light touching the glorious gospel that sits in our spirits. If you are understanding this far, I am sure that something is, seed is budding out of your heart to see that God has not authored anything in your life to confuse, dissuade, or destroy you. It's not the mind of God. It's not the purpose of God. It's not the intention of God. It's not the way of God. But to understand this, is to understand the judgments of the Spirit. That's why I began by saying, let no man judge you. All right? Men were being judged of shadows. And God was saying, I don't judge, and I'm not interested in the judgments that touch shadows, because they are done away with their doing. In the spirit realm, there are things that don't have consequence. They exist 
for not depending on where and which angle a man perceives in the spirit. All right? But they don't have consequence. Did I mean that they will not have consequence on the ignorant? They will have consequence on the ignorant. But when you get to know God, those things don't have consequence. All right? That is why we can never teach deliverance without transformation. If men are not transformed, we cannot speak about deliverance. I have seen preachers who are going to get people, tell them the generational curses that they have, who bewitch them in their lives, who is against them, how demons work. Then the people observe and see whatever has been happening around their lives, and then they conclude and say, indeed, whatever this man has said is true. No, what that man has shared is a fact. He has not shared the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. All right? Anything that touches not the person of Jesus Christ and his ministration can never be truth. Okay? But if a man of God comes and says, you had an accident last week, then you say, it's true. Man of God. No, you could say it's a fact, but you cannot say it's true. Because if we're defining truth, we are defining Christ. And Christ did not cause the shadow of this accident. You can say it's a fact. You cannot say it's a truth. You see, because to speak truth is to speak Christ. And what he is in person and his ministry, present ministry in this dispensation. Right? So they tell them, oh, this is who bewitched you. And it's true, probably somebody bewitched them. But the fact that that witchcraft has consequence on your life, on their lives, when they are bewitched, it only means, these are part of the things I'm telling you, the elements that exist in the spirit realm, but are of no consequence to those who know the truth, but are of consequence to those that are ignorant, right? Some people worship devils, you know, uh, small gods. They sacrifice people. They sacrifice their children and other people's children. They shed life for these gods and they go and do their own stuff. And yeah, some of them get the results. You know, the short fixes in deception of what they think they're sacrificing for, and some don't. When it comes to Paul, he says, but whether they be gods, all right, as of many, or lords by men, he says, to us there is but one God. There might be gods in the world, yes. That's relative to the guy who worships Krishna. That's him. But he says, but to us... There is only one God, one God, who the Bible says is the father of us all and in whom all things and we by him and Christ through him. And he says, how be it this knowledge, he says, is not in all men. Not all men understand who are in the faith. Not all believers understand that demon spirits have no power over you. Not all believers understand that, you know, the local gods in Buganda, like Luvari, you know, they have no power over you. That Majini or Jinai have no power over you. They don't know that. They don't understand that. That they cannot be bewitched. But the Bible says, but for some, with the conscience of the idol, the Bible says because they are conscious 
that this is witchcraft. They are conscious that these are demons. They are conscious that the other is a funny God and he has his own funny results in his own people in the deception Satan has kept them with. See, Satan can create an idol for you. All right? And then create a form and method of worship for that idol and an allegiance to it. And then you, you know, connect, submit to it, work for it and do whatever it requires. And then, because he's the prince of this world, he will supply certain things that are in his ability to. Remember, he's the father of all deception. That means everything that comes to you by that idol is actually intending to steal, kill, destroy, and deceive. All right? And then if that can be available, people say, oh, our judges work, our gods work, our idols work. All right? And then they ascribe to them and build altars around them and do stuff, sacrifice animals and people because of that. But that doesn't mean that those idols are strong. It only means that their consciences have been aligned to a certain place of faith. Although it's negative, okay, it's delusional and destructive, their consciences are aligned and there is power in the human conscience. Right? For the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so he is. Whether he's born again or not. <laughs> as a man thinketh, so he is. So the mental attitude sometimes avails certain provisions in the spirit. And because that mental attitude avails certain provisions in the spirit, they ascribe that to gods, these small little gods. And yet Satan knows he can only avail that much to deceive them enough to believe that these gods have power. And then natural laws work for them, and they think that it is these gods and Satan that has done that. And he says, this knowledge is not in all. Even Christians up to today eat as unto idols, a thing offered unto an idol. And the Bible says, and their conscience being weak is defiled. And so when a man walks with a defiled conscience, it means his judgments are deluded. He has shadows under which he walks because the light hits the idol before it comes to the man. It doesn't come direct to the man. It hits the idol before it comes to the man. And so the idol can divert this light and use it to impress on the man what actually the truth is not. You understand what I'm saying? Satan can use the scriptures to dissuade a man. The word in itself is light, all right? But he comes to Jesus Christ. Isn't it written, all right? He's misleading. He comes to Adam and Eve, all right? And he's misleading them through the very words God had spoken. Because he has come before this light and they forget how to connect to this light directly. That is the foundation of deception. That is the reason why men in the world are deceived. Many people have many lights cast on them. And that's why when Paul saw it, he says, No marvel, Satan is transformed as an angel of light. Because he likes to play and manipulate around anything that is like light. So people in the world, many of them don't understand light because they judge light by its results, not its nature. You understand? They judge light by results and not nature. Because if we go to nature, then we have to know the truth. But many of them are in darkness. And today, the truth is foolishness. The Bible says the gospel is foolishness to them that are perishing. They mean that the gospel is not existent. It is. But Satan has dissuaded them, right? He has corrupted and polluted their minds to look at a thing that could give life, hope, and victory as a foolish thing. As a foolish thing. 
Okay? Now, many people's consciousnesses are awakened, albeit to the wrong things. And because of that, they cannot connect to the judgments of the Spirit and how God has arrayed human life to be. The life of salvation is supposed to be a very simple life to live. Very direct. But because Satan knows that, he has birthed corruption from the simplicity which is in Christ by diverting the light and making it say what it's not saying, making it impress what it's not impressing. Now, unfortunately, he does not just end in his own agents that are directly serving him, but even those that are indirectly serving in ignorance. He says in the last days, the Spirit speaks expressly that some shall give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and they shall depart from the faith. And then listen to a seductive spirit, and then yield to a doctrine of a devil, and then stand in front of the church and teach it. Until people believe it, that it is the truth. That when somebody brings the truth, that person who brings the truth now becomes the devil. He becomes the cult. He becomes the false teacher. And they become the right teacher, according to the hearts of men. Because even the people that are being taught are taught into darkness. Shadows are cast them. And because these shadows are cast them, whatever elemental thing, doctrine, teaching, dogma, before them on which a light is cast and dissuaded and misdirected by Satan, for whichever shadow they fall under of that thing is the very bondage of which they fall under, is the very deception of which they fall under, is the very destruction of which they fall under. Okay? I met a person who had been a prayer warrior for more than 30 years. And you meet somebody who prays more than three or four hours a day. They are casting out devils. They fast half a year or the whole year. And they look like they have been beaten all their lives by the devil. Somebody deceived them and gave them a wrong impression of who God was and what the devil really is. So you find people who are praying the most, but they're the most broke, most sick, most beggarly, most wanting, most unfriendly people, most confused people, but they are praying. It's almost as though the more they are praying, the more confused they become. It's almost as though the more they seek, the more confused they become. Why? Because they are seeking in shadows. They are praying in shadows. They are serving in shadows. They are doing all of these things with shadows. The light is misdirected by the idols that have been set before them. And these idols come in all shape. They might not come in the shape of the Indian small god that is molded by clay, but they might come through all forms of ideas, inventions, innovations, doctrines. And these idols, because their consciences are weak, they are defiled. That is why we don't see people with results in the faith. That's why we don't see answers. And some people have even settled 
for the worst there is in the world and think, no, I think this is how life is supposed to be. I think I'm not meant to have this. I don't think Christianity is this. I don't think Christianity is that. I don't think Christianity is this. I don't think, you know, that God heals the sick. I think people are faking miracles. I don't think that God delivers people. I think people are faking them. I don't think this is this, that God can give you this amount of money without stealing. They have all ideas about what they don't think God can do. That you almost can ask them, what do you think God can do? And they say, he can do anything. So if you say, with God all things are possible, how come you've not created possibility in the things that the idols have dissuaded you into and destroyed you under these shadows? You lack the judgments of the Spirit. God has no shadow in his turning. He creates no shadow as of an eclipse. He is the light that comes to us, but the light that goes through us and through anything this light touches. That is why the sick are healed. Because when you say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. When I release the light and the life of the Spirit, it will go through the opaque object. The transparent and translucent. It will go through whether it's thick or light, it will go through. It's the power of that word that goes through these bones and enters a cancer in the bone and kills it and enters flesh, your skin, and looks for the virus and starts to locate it because it's not limited by any boundary. The only thing that can cast shadow on it is your idol of tradition. It's the stuff you don't know. I wish people understand that the word of God can do and will do anything. It can cut through the thickest wall. That's why when Jesus was raised from the dead, and terrestrial had become celestial, yet partly terrestrial, he walks into a room without opening a door. Because a mystery, something had taken place in the elevation of this man, whose name had been exalted above all names, and at the sound of that name, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. Because he obeyed us unto the cross, the Bible says he was given a name. He was elevated in the spirit. When he comes to a wall, he goes through, because this was the word that was going through. But even before that, this very man walked on water. There was no way his body would sink under gravity, because the word in him would hold him. All right? It is that word that raises Jairus' daughter. It's that word that opens the blind eye and raises the dead and cleanses the leper. It's that word that changes economies and changes nations. It's that word that changes ministries, changes marriages. It changes everything it touches. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, the word, is still here and is evident. He works now like he worked at the beginning. The only difference is that now we're dealing with traditions and shadows. We're dealing with false doctrines and seducing spirits teaching the church in what men think is true. Because today we even have people who when you speak something reasonable it passes off as true. It becomes true because it's reasonable. But not all things of God are reasonable. There are many things in the scriptures that will confuse a person who has not understood God because they are not in the realm of reason. They are in the realm of faith. I also don't know how he walks on water because reasonably it's not possible for him to walk on water, but he does walk on water, and I believe it. And to the scientist, that's foolish because he's gauging that against his law of gravity. But even devil worshippers levitate. In Africa, men levitate. 
in the air carried by devils. How much more Jesus Christ? Of course, if you're talking to someone in Europe who has never seen that, you think, ah, no, it doesn't exist, but we've seen it all. You understand what I'm saying? So, how many shadows are you under? And because of that, you don't have the results that you are supposed to have as a believer. And how do you come out of these shadows? You come out of these shadows through understanding Christ as he is. All right? That is why I would never emphasize enough the importance of being taught in the word. Because today, the word has left our pulpits. Many people are not teaching the word. Just want to come on the pulpit, tell people what already has existed and has happened. In fact, some are just fortune tellers. They just tell you your fortune. I see next year you're going to have a car. Hey, man of God, that's fortune telling. Some are just fortune tellers. They are not a voice in the spirit. Okay? And some are simply entertainers. Just entertain you. Alright? Some are simply encouragers. Just encourage. And then, you know, raise your adrenaline to think, I think God has spoken. And people have screamed in the church, fallen down under power, rolled in the dust and sowed seed, but nothing has changed in their lives. Why? Because you are still under shadows of certain doctrines, certain deceptions, certain dogmas, certain, you know, traditions that are killing you every day. It takes a certain maturity to understand how to go past traditions. And it begins by learning to read the word yourself before anybody reads it for you. Prove these things whether they are so. Prove these things whether they are so. But I also tell people, in this day and age, honestly pray for the spirit of revelation. It's what Paul prays for the church in Ephesians, that the Lord might grant unto you the spirit of wisdom and understanding or revelation in the knowledge of Christ. That the eyes of your understanding being flooded with light, you will know. God wants to flood your eyes with the right light. But that light that brings to knowledge, that's why he says that you will know what is the hope of your calling, what are the glorious riches of the inheritance of the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of power that worketh in you. All of that is in the realm of knowledge, and all of that knowledge is because of the true light flooding our eyes. Because if you get a casting of a wrong light because of tradition, false teaching and all this, you are in trouble. You are in trouble. And the world now is in trouble more than it was a couple of hundreds of years ago. Although, on the same side as well, as evil increases, grace increases. All right? So much as the world is in more trouble, okay, the church is actually at the highest peak of advantage because knowledge is increasing every day. All right? I told people years ago when we were beginning the ministry, and I said, now we might not be hard as we want to. But like Amos said, a famine will come. Bible says, not of bread or water, but a famine of the word. When that famine comes, it doesn't matter how much gymnastics is in the church, people will return back to the word. People return back to the word. Some time ago, I met somebody and they were giving us some statistics. And on one of our television stations on which we put you know, our programs, we were told that that hour, in which one of our programs is aired in the country, they said in that particular hour, our program was the most watched program 
in the whole country on all television platforms in the whole nation. That one hour. Why? It means people are listening. They are listening. The word is going out. But on the other hand, God is telling us people are hungry for the word. And the hunger of this word is going to continue increasing and increasing until we'll get to a point. He says young virgins will faint for thirst. Young virgins will faint for thirst. People will get so desperate for the word that they'll faint because they don't have it. Not because they don't have prayer warriors surrounding them or prophets and pastors and evangelists and apostles surrounding them, but because they need a certain word. And that is what we're seeing now, that the hearts of men are failing and losing hope in systems, in governments, in careers, in institutions, because the word of God was scarce. But that is no more. I believe God is raising men and women across the world in different spheres of life, different tribes, skin and color. And before we know it, in fact, these first few years we've been preaching the message, the message in our nation is changing. People are changing the way they are talking. Okay? There are other young men and women too that God is raising in this dispensation and they're doing the same work. The same work. And as these voices are rising, people are starting now to see the difference. People are falling in love with the word again. Back in the day, it was hard for people to just listen to a teacher just blabbing because they wanted everything that would excite. Now, people get their pens and paper and start writing notes. Right? They start speaking. I hear people, these boys who I hang around with, they start sharing things and you're like, wow. It's deep to me too, even though I teach them. Because God is not limited to Apostle Grace. He will teach, instruct, and work through and for everyone until we get to a point where you will not need your man of God to get cancer out of your body. Also, of course, some men of God are going to be unemployed because they have made themselves the center of the answer. But some of us will continue in the work because we'll continue to give people answers and give them solutions for their needs. And as we pour out, we're being poured into, right? Because our flow is steadfast. Are you hearing me? Okay? It's not what is poured into us that sustains us. No. Rather, we are connected to a source that is endless, right? The pouring into is simply reward. It's simply reward, not inspiration. Inspiration is already given because we've walked to the end of these things and come back for men. The communication of the Spirit is so clear that the words we have, even if we were to live for a thousand years, would still have something new every day. Why? Because we are breaking into the bottomless things. Our hearts are yielding more and more and flowing into the bottomless things of God. He is bottomless. He is deeper than we could ever describe him. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us the bottomless things of God. He just doesn't stay on the shallow end of meeting people's needs. No, he's taking us deep as the body of Christ. Embrace this move. Embrace what's happening these days. Be more hungry. I emphasize and will emphasize this. Be hungry for the word than you have ever been. Buy the truth and sell it not. Give everything in the world to get to the truth. When you receive it, sell it not. That's why my summons are free on the applications. If you come to the office, we give you free summons. Because we're not instructed to sell the truth. And I feel sorry for those who are still selling the truth. Because the time will come where the quality and clarity of the message of us who are giving it free will not be compared to any fraction to those that are selling, and people will stop buying. 
because it is freely given to us and freely shall we give. God has a way of pouring in two as reward to those that serve him. All right? That no money can buy. Are you hearing me? Why? Because to the man who has been dead to the world, the only reward that he requires of God is a fulfillment of his divine purpose on the earth. Okay? Because having food and clothes and the anointing was sufficient. We don't need much. Are you hearing me? But as we continue to grow in God, you will see that the toys that are fascinating are things that used to catch your attention no longer catch your attention anymore. That mean you won't have nice cars or houses or whatever. You'll have it all. But it won't be the center of your ministry. Christ will be the center of your ministry because all of that is fleshly. It's carnal. It dies with its own doing and has its expiration date. Some of the things we are showing off tomorrow are not going to be even important or anywhere near the fraction to inspire anybody to believe because they are subject to time. But the thing I'm sharing with you is timeless. It's beyond all dimensions. It's fresh every day and will keep you preserved and consistent in every dispensation. It will shape the way your children will grow. Imagine a person raised under the light with no shadow and the nature of the children you'll raise. Oh, the kind of ministry you'll build. No shadows. Hallelujah. The kind of marriage you'll have. No shadows. Your health, no shadows. Your understanding, no shadows. Your career, no shadows. Your influences, no shadows. No shadows whatsoever. And all the gifts that God has given the good and perfect all come without confusion, without any shedding of dissuasion or backslidedness or regression, no, no frustration, no sorrow to the things God gives you. When you understand those things, then you'll be at the tip of falling into what we call the overflow of the Spirit. Father, I thank you because you give us understanding. Give understanding. Give understanding to the words that have been shared today. Give understanding. Give understanding. May the shadows disappear. May death, destruction, false doctrines, traditions, all melt as truth enters our hearts. That will not cast off restraint on anything and that nothing will be holding from us. Take us to the fullness and to the overflow. That men will observe our lives and say indeed, those men, those women were full and that they did overflow with God. He says that you intend that we will be a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. The power will surpass all. The glory of God will be immense and the anointing on our lives will be measurable. It is possible to live in the overflow. And our generation is reaching out. It's reaching out as we apprehend that which you apprehended us for. In Jesus' mighty name we prayed and believed. Amen. If you're sick in your body, just receive healing now. Diabetes, heal. God is healing diabetes. In the name of Jesus. 
Kidney diseases are healing in the name of Jesus. Liver diseases are healing in the name of Jesus. Blind, deaf, and dumb heal in the name of Jesus. Financial breakthroughs are coming in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Restorations are coming. Thank you, Lord. Ministries are being built right now. Salvation is coming to your household, most importantly. Receive it. Just receive it. Don't, just receive it. Just receive it. Because these words are coming from the liberty of the Spirit. Receive as much in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. You're there and you say, you know, Apostle, I've heard you. I feel there's a nudge in my spirit. I feel there's a calling in me telling me to come to God, to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I don't want to deny you that opportunity. And if you're there right now, I want you to repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I receive it in all humility. I believe that you died and was raised for my glory. Tonight, you're my Lord and Savior. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.